All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where just a few minutes ago, some major headline news occurred out of the John Durham trial. We've all wondered for a very long time, what did Hillary Clinton know? When did she know it? Did she approve this whole Russia collusion thing or did she not? We know that from my earlier reporting and from the declassified documents that John Brennan, the CIA director, in July of 2016, briefed President Obama that there was an intercept intelligence overseas that Hillary Clinton, according to one of her foreign policy advisors, had approved an entire plan to dirty up Donald Trump, to contrive a Russia collusion scandal against Donald Trump to distract from her own problems with the email scandal that was in her own life. And then we know two months after that, in September of 2016, the CIA sent the exact same warning to the FBI. Hey, guys, we know you're looking at this, but you should know Hillary Clinton may have approved this as a dirty trick. Despite that, of course, the investigation went on for three years until it finally ran out of any proof whatsoever that there was such collusion and Robert Mueller finally shut it down. But Today, on the stand, unexpectedly, Robbie Muck, the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton 2016, Hillary for America 2016, was asked by the prosecutors, and he gave a bombshell answer. Yes, Hillary Clinton personally approved the idea of taking the bogus Alpha Bank. Donald Trump has a secret communications channel with the Kremlin to the press. She approved doing that. She was behind it. She was in on it. She did give the American people a bad story, an October surprise, as John Durant's prosecutor said earlier this week. That is a huge earth-shattering moment in the trial. And we're going to start off here in a few minutes. You're going to get to hear from my reporter, the Justin News reporter, on the scene at the trial who broke that story, who sent out that news alert. You probably got it in your email box on your smartphone a little bit ago. Natalia Middlestat's going to join us. She's going to tell us everything that's going on because there's been a lot of blockbuster moments, some from the judge, some from Mark Elias, who many people think through Sussman under the bus. And then finally, some pretty big revelations from FBI fact witnesses, James Baker among them. Big stories, big important revelations. And Natalia's going to gift wrap them up, make it easy for you to digest as we come to the end of the first week of the first John Durham trial in the Russia collusion caper. And then after that, we have one of my great friends, and I think one of the great foreign policy thinkers in our country these days. Karen Skinner, former State Department official, former advisor to President Trump, now soon to join the Pepperdine University as a brand new professor out in California. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about NATO. We're going to talk about PATO, the idea of a Pacific alliance. We're going to talk about Finland and Sweden asking to join Turkey, trying to block it, the continuation of the Ukraine-Russia war. We're going to cover the globe pretty quickly with one of the fastest, smartest minds in foreign policy out there, Karen Skinner. Two great interviews back-to-back on a very busy and very newsworthy Friday afternoon. All right, let's take a quick commercial break here from our great partners, sponsors, advertisers. We'll be right back. First up with Natalia Middlestadt, followed by Karen Skinner. Two great guests on a very busy Friday afternoon. 
Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break live from the courthouse where the John Durham trial against Michael Sussman is underway is our own very own Just the News. Great reporter, Natalia Middlestadt. Natalia, great to have you on. Hi, thanks for having me on. We have breaking news today. Robbie Mook, the campaign manager, came in as a prosecution witness. Tell us what he told the courtroom that got all those headlines and bells ringing just a few minutes ago. Yeah, so uh, former Hillary Clinton campaign manager, Robbie Mook, he was actually brought in as the defense's witness. He was scheduled out of turn due to scheduling conflicts. Ah. So he happened during the prosecution's case, technically. But um, but yeah, so he said uh, during cross-examination testimony today that um, Hillary Clinton had green-lighted the um, plan to go to the press regarding the allegation that there was a secret communications channel between Alpha Bank and the Trump Organization. Amazing. So she's behind it. Uh, these are these are these are questions that we've never been able to get answered. We know that President Obama was told in June of sixteen by John Brennan, the CIA director, Hillary Clinton approved a whole plan to dirty up Donald Trump. We know the FBI was told that in September. Now we know from her own campaign manager that Hillary Clinton approved at least this slice of the Russia collusion uh, false story, the Alpha Bank uh, server story, which we all know turned out to be not true. And the CIA may testify soon that it was contrived. But uh, from the uh, campaign manager's own mouth, that is a pretty big moment. There's been a couple other big moments. I thought you did a great job this morning kind of pulling out for people who aren't going stem to start on this, kind of the five most important moments in the trial thus far. 
Mook would obviously be the new one. I know we put him at number one, but what are some of the others that have been important in the first four days of this trial? Yeah, so uh, Special FBI Agent Scott Hellman testified on Tuesday uh, regarding the uh, FBI's analysis of the DNS data, the Internet data, regarding the servers between the Alpha Bank and Trump Organization. And according to uh, his analysis, within like a day or two of looking at the data, he quickly realized that the allegation of there being a secret communications link between the two servers didn't ring true at all. He said that the conclusions that the cyber experts, cybersecurity experts had come to, um, that was secret communications channel didn't make any sense. Um, and it seems they were not objective in viewing that data. Yeah. So that was definitely and the despite first Despite that, though, despite the fact that he wrote up a memo, they did keep investigating it for a while, right? Is that, if I remember that correctly? Yeah. So what happened was he had first gotten the information and then the Chicago FBI branch was, doing the broader Trump-Russia investigation. So then he passed his report along to them so they could continue looking at it. Great. Very interesting. All right. So that that's a big yep. one. Robbie Mook's yep. a big one. Uh, give me a couple more big ones. What, what else has happened? You've done such a good job covering this. We're so proud of you. Uh, tell our audience a couple of the other moments that caught your attention that really mattered to the American public. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, another one was uh, former uh, Clinton campaign lawyer Mark Elias. He worked he used to work for uh, Perkins Coey, the Democrat law firm. Uh, he said during his cross-examination on Wednesday, uh, quote-unquote, to ask Sussman if he went to the FBI on behalf of the campaign. So according to Elias, he believed from his standpoint that Michael Sussman, um, who's on trial, did not go to the FBI about the allegation on behalf of the Clinton campaign. Um, and that he didn't think Sussman told him about the meeting until after it occurred. Wow. Well, that's interesting. It uh, uh, There's some, some bus throwing, uh, uh, people being thrown out of the bus. Uh, people might look at Mook throwing <laughs> Hillary in there, uh, Elias throwing Sussman in there. I know mm-hmm. one thing that happened. The judge threw the idea that he was going to declare a mistrial under the bus. He said no way, right? Yeah, it was actually regarding that exact uh, line of questioning when uh, when Elias said, you have to ask Sussman. The defense asked for a mistrial, and the judge threw that notion out um, because it basically they, he answered it in uh, response to the defense's cross examination. Yeah. He so said, "Kind of funny. If you didn't want it, you shouldn't ask for it." Exactly. Yeah, yeah well, that's a pretty mm-hmm. moment. All right, give me one mm-hmm. more. What's another favorite moment of yours that you think was very illuminating to the overall story? So uh, another interesting one was. Basically, Mark Elias also said that he didn't trust the FBI enough to bring them the Alpha Bank allegation, which, uh, ironically enough, Robbie Mook also said the same thing during his testimony today. Neither of them trusted going to the FBI with the Alpha Bank allegation, um, and they said it was because Director James Comey had taken unfair public stances, Hillary Clinton. Remarkable. Wow, that's mm-hmm. pretty big. And I guess the other important, because this is actually the most important factual thing, which is when James Baker testified, there's not any doubt in his mind from the text message and the conversations he had that Sussman lied to him and said, I'm not bringing this to you on behalf of a client, right? He was pretty clear on that, wasn't he? Yes, he said not only from the text message Sussman sent him, but also during the meeting that they had, that Sussman had clearly stated he was not there on behalf of a client. And Baker said even... If Sussman had said he was on behalf of a client, he would have totally changed how he would have dealt with the information. Yeah, that goes to the second most important question, right? So first is, was it a lie? Seems pretty strong now that it, it was, it's a clear falsehood, right? And the second piece mm-hmm. of it is, is it material? Because that's what the defense is going to spend all next week and the, uh, at the end of the trial saying, well, it, it's a lie without a foul, right? It was a foul without any harm. What Baker said, and I think uh, the earlier agent said, which is if they had known this was coming from the Hillary Clinton campaign or people around them, they would have treated it with greater suspicion and, and may not have even opened up on it in the way they did, correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Well, we are so lucky here at Justin News, and anyone who reads the Justin News website knows how good you are, Natalia. You've done a great job on this trial. We love having you on, and I guess lunch break is almost over, so you got to go back and cover the rest of the trial today, right? Yep, that is true. <laughs> no rest for the hardworking. Well, uh, Natalia, a big thank you on behalf of the entire Justin News family. You're doing a great job. Your coverage has been fantastic, and people are getting to see the most important news through your great work each day. So thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Have a good rest of the day out of that trial. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, 
Karen Skinner, one of the great foreign policy experts in this country, served for President Trump, is headed to Pepperdine University. We're going to cover that. We're going to talk about NATO, Russia, Ukraine, China. We're going to travel the world in 30 minutes with Karen Skinner. Right after this, commercial break. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. I love having this next guest on. Of course, she was a very important advisor to President Trump. She is the brand new professor of international studies and politics at Pepperdine University and one of the country's greatest foreign policy and national security experts. Joining me right now, as she has a few times before, Karen Skinner, great to have you on today. Thanks for inviting me, John. It's always a pleasure um, to have a, a, a serious conversation with someone who's in the journalism world, and there aren't that many, so this is significant <laughs> well, for me. Well, first off, congratulations on this new gig. Yeah, tell me a little bit about what you're going to be doing at Pepperdine. They're very lucky to have you. Oh well, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I, you know, I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in the Bay Area and right. have lived in Southern California. So this is a return home to me, and for me, and I'm excited because. The university is committed to faith and freedom, and we have so many American universities and colleges um, that started um, with that um, with that mandate and mission, and have had mission creep in in a very progressive direction. And it will be hard um, to reverse those institutions. But Pepperdine is holding the line for faith and freedom, and in particular, the Graduate School of Public Policy, where. I will um, be a faculty member, I think is a leading light in the public policy dialogue based on those principles with an explicit commitment to Western ideas, Western values, but is also inclusive and open to dialogue. Um, and there's something else that was really attractive to me. I don't know if you remember James Q. Wilson. Sure. He was a Harvard... Harvard um, professor right. who um, studied bureaucracy and American political institutions. Um, he admitted me to Harvard at 19 for the doctoral program in the government department. I didn't know that. But he, ended, he did, but he ended his career at Pepperdine at the policy school where he helped develop the initial curriculum. And much of that curriculum exists today, in particular, um, a great books um, dimension to teaching public policy. No other graduate school of public policy uses great books as a way to understand the underlying philosophies and the big ideas that face us today. So I'm excited about contributing to that um, part of the curriculum and also trying to figure out what are the new additions to the canon. Um, there are many fine American writers um, now who are talking about what's going on in the world. I would say Mark Levin's book on American 
um, Marxism. It's really well done, isn't it? Really, it it tells us a story that most don't know about the deep roots um, in American higher education and in K through 12 um, that have to do with really kind of anti-Americanism and anti-Western ideas. Yeah, Uh, and it's funny, I was thinking of James Q. Wilson, Broken Windows Theory guided an entire generation of law enforcement and urban development for the good. So many things he contributed. It's such an honor to know the connection between you and he. That's amazing, I didn't know that. I want to take you to the European stage where obviously the war between Ukraine and Russia continues to rage on, though Ukraine seems to be holding its own quite well. But the fallout from the war is really quite remarkable. Uh, If you believe Putin, he started this war because he was afraid of NATO expansion. All he's managed to do is actually encourage NATO expansion. Your reaction to Sweden and Finland saying they want in uh, in the NATO world welcoming them, welcoming them. Well, you know, to answer that question, I have to go back to 2015, 2016, when these countries were, in fact, you know, um, reestablishing their military. I think they sent something coming, um, more investment in armaments and defense. While they were on, in, in the high north in Europe doing that work, Donald Trump was in the middle of the country beginning his presidential campaign, um, talking about NATO, of all things. And the foreign policy experts, and I may have said this in the past on your program, but the foreign policy experts on both sides of the aisle said, what a waste of time for a presidential campaign. (laughs) Thank God he campaigned in states like mine, Pennsylvania, where I've been a voter for 22 years, when he talked about burden sharing and about NATO. I think Finland and Sweden really represent what Trump was beginning to talk about in his campaign in a way that no one really anticipated. He wasn't just talking about the need for burden sharing and reaching the commitment of 2% of GDP for defense. I think underneath all of that, he was saying that these countries need to be ready for the 21st century and the challenges that come um, that are coming. And in particular, if you at least reach 2% of GDP toward defense, that means you're um, investing in exotic and new technologies, that you are doing more in R&D. There's a deeper story to what Trump was trying to say. Spotlights are on this are Sweden and Finland. They're actually ready to go. It will take probably until the fall for the 30 NATO countries um, to go through the entire debate process and paper process of admitting them. I would suggest speed it up if you can. But these countries are um, just the, I think, will be spectacular um, members of NATO. They're democracies. They've got a a commitment to market economies. They have demonstrated a protection of minorities, and they have superior defense capabilities that are growing. What else could we ask for? These are countries that for 200 years basically stayed neutral and are seeing with a level of clarity what is happening in this new century around European security. They will point the way for us. We will learn for them. I'm all in for admitting them to the world's most durable um, security alliance. Yeah, it's funny. I sat with President Trump about six, eight weeks ago. We had a really extensive, very policy-oriented interview. Sometimes he wants to talk politics and grievances and things, but he really wanted to get into the policy of what the Trump doctrine looks like in the next Five years, and he talked very much about how important it was not only to get the European nations to pay their fair share, but to put the same amount of intellect and uh, foreign policy heft behind it as their money. And he said he felt like he had really done that. And and then we pivoted to another interesting conversation. But and and I asked him, given that the success you had in in getting NATO more stabilized, getting the Europeans more engaged in it. Is there room for a PATO? And he said, what's a PATO? I said, a Pacific Alliance. And he said, oh, absolutely. That's the next thing we're going to be working on. How do we counter the malign influence and military aggression of China? You know, maybe we put NATO there or maybe we create a new alliance. Uh, But he was very interested. And he said the key 
to what I did in it. It wasn't just getting people to pay the fair share. It was getting them to invest the intellectual capital in their own defense of their own continent. And I feel like I really did that as part of this. And so it's very interesting, Karen, because he says exactly what you're saying. He, he gets why that was such an important accomplishment on his watch. It's really remarkable. So um, I love the conversation that you had um, with, with, with Donald Trump. And I think um, very few people um, even the um, expert community um, will take him seriously on the Trump doctrine. Most believe that there isn't one. Yeah. During my time at the State Department, I went around um, the globe and around D.C., the think tank world, and I talked about um, the Trump doctrine. And there, some were really offended that I would take it seriously enough as an intellectual proposition. And And then I would lay out the pillars. And then I would say, this is what's um, working in terms of the, the pillars of the Trump doctrine, and here's where we need reform. And my view had always been coming into the administration that every principal should attempt to turn the president's hunches and instincts into hypotheses. They didn't even want to go that far. But I mentioned this because his idea of an Indo-Pacific type NATO um, is something that he actually started. Um, yep. And, you the know, dialogue, we just right? didn't have yeah. more time to come the, uh, the the quad. The quad, um, that's it, the know, quad, yeah. The, the quad precedes Trump, but in terms of India, um, Japan, Australia, and the U.S. forming a loose regional alliance um, to counter China, but also to figure out additional common interests that could bring along um, the, the other Asian economies. What was distinct about Trump in the... Um, in, um, in the quad, in the quad work that was done, is that it gave he gave life to it. It moved. It uh, he opened the door for deeper conversations at every level of government, even my level at the policy planning um, um, community around um, the world. I was beginning to meet with my opposite numbers in the quad, and we were be, were planning activities. Amazing. I just so. I'm, um, I'm so disappointed that Trump's not back in on the foreign policy side. We would have been moving on all of these oh, yeah. um, new regional partnerships, which is a pillar of the Trump doctrine. Yep. Um, and we would not have the war in Ukraine. I really do feel confident in saying that the war in Ukraine would not have happened under Donald Trump's watch. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people on both sides of the aisle uh, say that. Maybe Republicans say it a little more loudly, but there are a lot of Democrats that say it under murmured breath. I think they understand that the lack of clarity that the Biden administration had in those early months gave, and also the failure of Afghanistan, gave the red light that I think Putin was, or the green light that Putin was always looking to to have an excuse. And it's going to be a long time before we uh, fully appreciate the consequences of that. I want to go back to NATO, Finland, uh, and, and Sweden for a second. Turkey is uh, exercising its muscle a little bit. Do you think that we can work out those issues that Turkey will eventually be satisfied and, and uh, allow this to happen? I hope so, but I don't know if Turkey will ever be satisfied. Turkey has to make the fundamental decision to be fully embedded in the West. Yep. Turkey is a unique country. There are few countries in the world like it. Given their, and this is something that Sam Huntington talked about, I think in a brilliant way, in the late 1980s. Turkey is a country that geographically can go east or west, north or south. And that's an important geographic position to be in. The goal uh, in the 21st century should have been for NATO, for the EU, which should have, I believe, should have admitted Turkey in the early 2000s, is to keep that nation moving north and west. But that was never a strategy. And I think part of what we're seeing with Erdogan now is that over multiple U.S. administrations, and other um, um, administrations throughout European capitals, there wasn't a clear-eyed attempt to say, you're with us, you have to be with us if you want to stay with us. We, w we wavered. And so Erdogan and his regime have become used to um, cutting an, uh, an arms deal with the Russians, having a slap on the hand from NATO, but then continuing on. I think this is going to be a test about whether Turkey wants to be isolated from the West or part of the West. It doesn't have a strong argument 
against the expansion of NATO for these two countries. It says they harbor terrorists. Um, and the Swedes and the Finns are prepared to meet with them and have serious dialogue. But um, they are not. Um, Erdogan says, don't, don't show up. Don't waste your time. I think this is about isolation of Turkey. There's isolation of Russia. There's isolation of North Korea. Does Turkey want to be in this club? This is their moment. Yeah, you're exactly right. And they've triangulated for, uh, to use an old Bill Clinton, uh, Dick Morrister, and they triangulated for the last few years and they kind of bounce people off each other to get the best deal for themselves. But I think you're right. If someone had made a clear overture, hey, Turkey, if you're with us, this is the cost of being with us, but here's the benefit. They probably would be far more in our camp these days than we did. That was probably a missed opportunity starting in the Bush years, I, I, I would assume. The, the Obama years only exacerbated it. Fascinating to see. There was an amazing moment, I thought, last week. And in fact, I'm, he's going to be on our TV show later this week. But Mike Pompeo, your old boss, visited the headquarters of Iran's largest opposition group, the MEK, to show his support not only for the MEK, but for those Iranians currently on the ground protesting against uh, How big are these protests in Iran right now to potentially putting the regime on notice that their hold on power is slipping? I don't know exactly, um, you know, the um, the truth in terms of the numbers of those um, protests and exactly um, what they mean in terms of the, the regime taking them seriously. But they've been persistent over time. Yeah. And um, Tehran has um, quashed them as much as they possibly can. And they never seem to complete the project. Um, so I would take them very seriously. Um, I'm a little less impressed with U.S. former or um, officials or current ones trying to enter the mix of this. Yeah. I think there are a lot of dimensions, even about the MEK, that we don't understand. Sure. They don't represent the full range of Iranian protests. Right. And there are a lot oh, of yeah, different factions. Yep. And, and so what I think our job is to do is to support the concept and the reality um, of um, Iranian protest, their right to protest, their right to freedom, their their desire for um, potential regime change, all of these things. I think we can support um, their their right to what we call First Amendment rights. Um, but picking one side versus the other, I don't think is where we want to be. I think we can often lose credibility um, and lose some of the levers we have because it is a fluid um, 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 situation. And, you know, the Iranian expat community in the U.S. is one of the most well-educated, sophisticated, sure commitment um, to freedom. Um, many are, are strong um, Republicans, and they have um, a range of viewpoints as well as I have seen. Um, so I support them. Um, I think the Iranian regime has is, is, is been in one way or another on life support for a long time. Yep. Um, I think Trump made it harder for their survival. Um, and um, this administration is making it easier. But the march of history is not on their side. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Quickly, on the Iran nuclear deal, do you think uh, there's going to be a deal or do you think it falls apart? I hope there's no deal. Right. Um, because um, the, the and this is the complete irony, which makes, you know, um, U.S. foreign policy and international relations um, somewhat of, you know, a um, SNL moment um, to have um, the Russians part of the Iran nuclear deal discussions on the one side and then the greatest uh, um, um, violator of international norms like sovereignty, political and territorial integrity, starting a war on the other. The United States, you know, one of the, the, the um, great honors of my life was serving our country. And what I learned um, during that time that you can't learn in a textbook is that the United States is really the big actor in the room. And people look to us. Even those who don't like us look to the United States for leadership. When we don't provide it, outcomes are just worse for the world. And if we get an Iran nuclear deal, it's just worse for the world. Every signal is terrible. Yeah. And so um, I'm hoping we don't get a deal because I don't think it's a, a great signal for the world. I don't think it will work. Um, and I don't I think the administration, there are honest people 
who want in that in the Biden administration to take the Iran nuclear issue off the table. I think our our my disagreement with them is how we get there. And so I don't think they're wrong. And even, you know, it's easy to bash the Biden foreign policy team. I know many of these people. They're they're smart. They're well-educated. Many of them are thoughtful. They're working from a different theory. One. Number two, I don't think that they have fully grasped the change in the international system since the 20th century. Trump did two things. He worked from a different theory. And the theory he happened to work from was related to different geopolitical realities. He wasn't tied to the status quo thinking. And the world is so different. And I do believe we all want to, quote unquote, contain Iran. But the way we want to get there is very different. Trump wanted to put the squeeze on the Iranians, and he wanted to clarify for the Iranians that he meant business. The Biden administration wants to do a lot more of making nice and negotiating, much in the way that Kissinger and Nixon did in the 1970s with the Soviets. This approach historically for the U.S. has never worked. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's so important. I want to take that one last place because you are one of the most articulate people I know on this issue, and that is protecting American sovereignty. As the Biden administration unravels a lot of the foreign policy successes and edicts that drove the uh, America First foreign policy agenda, they're beginning to subjugate the United States sovereignty to NGOs, to uh, to other countries, to globalist sort of uh, institutions. How concerning is that? And what's the best way for America First conservatives to uh, try to trip that up and stop that? John, I'm so glad you asked this question because um, it is the, um, I think, the, the real story of the Biden foreign policy. It is the real story of President Trump's foreign policy. And what do I mean by that? Um, I did an off-the-record briefing with the media um, my first few days at the State Department. And the spokeswoman at that point, Heather Nauert, um, took me into a room. And I think she was a bit nervous because here comes a professor um, who's going to talk to the media and doesn't know how. Um, I've been doing media for years, but she was kind of right because I started talking about what I thought the Trump doctrine was and all these people couldn't believe I was saying it. It was right before UNGA September 2018 UN General Assembly meeting. And I said, for Trump, the key issue in foreign policy is national sovereignty. And I said, if you listen to what he has said in the past couple of years, He believes that the nation state is the core unit of analysis in the international system. I have never heard him say that the U.S. should pull out of every international organization, that we should blow up every NGO that we can, that we should pull out of every international treaty that we've been part of. But what he wants is to examine those treaties, agreements, understandings, and institutions to see is where and how much U.S. national interests exist. And he has a rigorous definition of the national interest around political and territorial um, integrity um, and, the, and the ability to protect the life and liberty of people within the nation state and provide economic um, prosperity and opportunity. And so I said all this, and I got soon, and I think I could see the State Department um, public affairs staff getting nervous that I, you know, go down a rabbit hole. And But I kept talking, and I said, this is what I think Trump is adding to the foreign policy community more than any 21st century president. He's taking us back to first principles, the purpose of the nation state in the first place and the purpose of U.S. of foreign policy for any nation. Then we went to UNGA. And he gave a speech at, at the U.N. Yeah, I remember that. And, I think, and that was his second one. And I was on the, an elevator with some of the reporters. And they said, you were talking about sovereignty. That's right. He was, that's what he talked about. If you read every UNGA speech by Trump and you read nothing else, you get a body of foreign policy literature and theory and perspective that is um, prepared to protect the U.S. and the justification for pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord, um, for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, from the Human Rights Council at the UN. 
it wasn't just reactionary. It was actually conceptual and theoretical. And he said, all of these agreements um, do not protect the national interest. The Biden administration has not provided that kind of body of thinking where, however, President Biden has during the years that he was, um, um, you know, out of power after the Obama administration, um, gave a number of important speeches about marking off democratic regimes from authoritarian and that being the key challenge in the 21st century. I think he got that right. The other part, though, that he missed was international organizations make that mark off a lot more difficult. Trump was moving the world toward more democracy without ever by without ever really taking on the authoritarian democratic fight as directly as Biden has, at least rhetorically, what he focused on was sovereignty. Some said, well, he doesn't care about having more democracies. He's not making that case. I think he thought that was something that comes later. If you can't protect your state, you can't live another day to be a democracy and fight. And so this administration, I think, is getting it all wrong. And where it's had its biggest success in terms of rolling back Trump-era um, international initiatives is in the um, arena of World Health Organization, yeah. Paris Climate Accord. And these, I think, are going to be ones that voters have a lot to say about in 2024 because we will have so much empirical data about America being compromised in the next two years. I, I just really am I'm, I'm sure of that. It's amazing. And, you know, it's interesting because defining the American interest in foreign policy was the guiding principle of foreign policy, certainly since post-World War One, And I, I would argue through the end of the Bush, uh, second Bush administration, some people argue about Clinton. I think Clinton became more of a globalist after he was president than he was when he was in there. But the, um, the Obama-Biden years and now the Biden years have really move the concept that the global interest is more important than the American interest and Donald Trump is in, and the conservative movement has been the counterbalance to that. Uh, where do you think the American people are on that issue? I mean, obviously, they're probably more worried right now about baby formula and gas prices and inflation. But when it comes to foreign policy, I think uh, where do most people come down when, they, when, they're, when they're presented the two visions for the world? I think, you know, this, what you just mentioned, baby formula, gas prices, you know, and add in there, you know, the, the disaster of K through 12 yes. and uh, what's going on in our country. I think they're connected to the issues of sovereignty and national they interest. What's point. happening now and what I think your program is doing is helping Americans to connect the dots. This is not about me just driving to the gas station and saying $5 a gallon. It's saying that something's happening to our country that makes us less safe that makes us less capable um, to defend ourselves. And I think they're beginning to see it. And I think it's not what's, what's happening, and it's, it's, it's quite organic, and I hope to see it in the polls um, in the next couple of years, is that Americans are shedding the rhetoric and concern of political parties and their machines and looking at the survival of America. Mm. That's what I think Trump contributed, contributed during his presidency and where he is still relevant right now. You don't have to be in love with Donald Trump and what he says and how he says it, but look at the policy performance and look at how he was connecting the dots. And Americans are starting to connect the dots that way themselves. And they're rejecting um, the idea of just strict partisanship. We're seeing that in the middle of the country. We're seeing that in the you know, um, in the Pennsylvania um, Republican primary for Senate, which we're still trying to sort out. Right. A lot of this, every candidate was trying to be more America first than the next. It's amazing, isn't but, it? Yeah. And, 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 and some who had said horrible things about Trump um, just a couple of years ago, what I think they were trying to tap into, and they don't understand that there is a deep substance to it, is that Americans really care about a strong America at home and abroad. And they reject globalism because globalism doesn't believe in a strong America. It believes in a weakened America and a more leveling of the international system where all states 
are quote unquote equal. And that's just not possible. The United States has a unique history as the world's most fully functioning multi-ethnic democracy. Most countries could not pull off what we pull off. We show our problems to the world. We, we debate them in the public square. We don't throw people in prison if they dissent against their leaders. Um, and so I think Americans are coming back to those first principles. And you're absolutely right. World War I and World War II, the fallout of those worlds were the most, some of the most productive periods for the United States in terms of defining what the West and the future would look like. And um, Donald Trump, I think, has been the biggest defender and, and of, of, of doing that since Ronald Reagan was president. And indeed, I think Reagan was the last before Trump yeah. to really outline what it means to defend the West and to really understand the, um, that we were in an ideological battle. Um, I don't think most presidents have understood the ideological nature of what we're facing at home and abroad the way Reagan did. And I think Reagan understood it largely because of his time as president of the Screen Actors Guild. Of course. Where he had, you know, direct contact with communists um, and their tactics, even their threats against him and his own mother and father. Um, and so... Trump understands these for reasons I don't know. Some of it's, in, you know, instinctive. I have to study the record more in his life. Um, but he understood it. Yeah, and he we're and he, he imparted it to the American public. That may be his biggest gift. Yeah, he had a marketing gift to break it down into slogans and into concepts that made it uh, hit home. He's so much like Reagan in policy and very different in personality. It's so it's such an interesting uh, uh, contrast and comparison when you look at the two. But they had a lot of similar uh, policy concepts, and and I was I think Trump dusted off the Reagan agenda and made it 21st century in a lot of ways. I think that's how historians, when they get over all the silliness, will probably look at at this period. It's amazing. Karen, I now know how lucky uh, Pepperdine is to have you there. Uh, this discussion is so fun for me. I love having you on, and uh, you, make, uh, you make the world a lot more easy to understand. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, and I look forward to being back on. You bet. Count me That's in. That's a certainty. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank folks. you. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. It is time to wrap up and go into this extraordinary weekend. It's a very important weekend. And we're going to take some time to catch our breath to figure out what week two of the Durham trial is going to do. But as we do that, I wanted to introduce you to one of our great partners. I run a small business. HR is a very important part of it, and it's a cumbersome part of it. It takes time. You need someone who lives and breathes it to make sure that you get it right. And that's very important because if you don't get it right, just one complaint against your company can turn your world upside down, could turn your budget upside down. The good news is that Bambi, B-A-M, 
B-E-E. Bambi is here to help small business owners like you and me and others implement good HR practices. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses like yours and mine, the small business business. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. That's the really cool thing. Now you say, oh, John, that's going to cost a ton. No, it can cost as little as $99 a month. That is an incredible deal because that's what Bambi does. It gives you your own dedicated HR manager. The plans start at $99 a month. No hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. You run your business. You let Bambi run your HR. You're going to get a lot more peace of mind doing that. To check this out, if you're a business owner like me, check this out. Get this done. It takes a huge burden off you and gives you a real pro, a best in class HR pro at your fingertips 24 7. So if you want to do that, go to Bambi.com. Let me go B A M B E E.com slash Just News. You know how that works, the Just News thing. You go right there for right now for your free HR audit doesn't cost you anything. They'll just give you a sense of what they can do for you. One more time, let me give you that Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Just News. Get started today. Take this burden off your mind. Get back to the fun parts of running your business. All right, folks, that wraps it up. We'll have a great show tonight. Kevin Brock, the former FBI intelligence director, is going to join us at the top of the Just the News, Not Noise television show with Amanda Head and I tonight. He's going to give us his impressions of the first week of the Durham trial. Then Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, the man on the front lines of the immigration fight against the Biden administration. Oh, by the way, he's also running for re-election. Got a runoff with George P. Bush next Tuesday. He's going to be on. And then we're going to meet, introduce you to one of the new nominees for North Carolina's 13th Congressional District. His name is Bo Hines. He got a big boost from Donald Trump. And now he won his primary and he's going to go forth in the general election in a Republican district, likely to be the next congressman from North Carolina's 13th Congressional District. Bo Hines, you're going to get to meet him tonight. And oh, by the way, you can at any time dial in and see our Ravi Award winner. We give out that award every couple of weeks to a really bad example of bad behavior in America. We got a fun one tonight. I think you'll like it. All right, folks, that wraps it up. Another edition of John Solomon Reports Into the Sunset. Thank you for listening. Check out justthenews.com. We're going to have more breaking news all day on the Durham trial. So check that out 24-7. You'll be in good shape. And hey, give those guys at Bambi a try. You're going to really love it. Bambi.com slash justnews. It'll take a lot of burden off of your business responsibilities. Have a great weekend. God bless you. We'll be back Monday with another edition. Don't forget to check out the special Sunday edition. Got an all-star lineup there as well. God bless. Good night. We'll see you on Monday. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. Thank you.